But you know, everyone has kind of a secret history with God. You know, you come here today and you think to yourself, well, you know, you have your thoughts. Because you've been through different things with the Lord. Now, when you don't have the real answer, then you don't have basically any foundation under your life. And that's really the question that we're asking here. You know, what is that foundation of life? With all the accolades that Tom Brady had and with all the success maybe that you've experienced in life as well, is there something else? <coughs> excuse me. Here's their foundation of, <coughs> excuse me, the security there that we need in our life. Well, certainly we are uh, cognizant of that everywhere we go, right? The security that we need, the foundation principles that we need in life. And after all, we have a homeland security team today and a department in our government. When you go to the airport, before you get on the plane, what do you have to do? You have to go through security. You have to go through all right, so, well, the same three or four people answering that question. The rest of them say, well, I've never been on a plane before. <laughs> I don't know. No, really, you have to go through security. And then when you are afraid, maybe, that a burglar is going to come into your home, what do you do? You go out and get a home security, security system. But, as you know, it's just not the physical stuff. It's really the emotional baggage as well. One phone call right now could change your entire life whether for the good or for the bad. I mean, how many people here, don't have to raise your hand, have gotten that phone call like me when you realize that you're about to lose one of your parents? Or maybe you've gotten a phone call out of the blue that you lost one of your parents. That phone call that you get from the doctor that says you have cancer. One phone call could just change everything in your life. And we think, well, how can we deal with that? How can we get over that, that shock and, and really trust the Lord? How can we really know that we have a foundation in life? You know, this whole idea of refuge and rescue and perseverance, or, or preservation rather, in the Bible is, is really going throughout the entire Bible. Remember one of my favorite parables at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, where Jesus said, look, if you keep these sayings of mine, I'm going to liken you into a, compare you to a person that built his house upon a rock. That's the foundation. That's something that you choose. That's something that's there, and you choose to build your house on it. Or, he says, if you don't do these things of mine, I'm going to compare you to a person who built his house upon the sand. That's no foundation to that at all. The winds come, and they always come. The storms of life come. They are always there. Great was the fall, the house that was founded upon the sand, but the one on the rock stood. That's the kind of life that we want. We want something that's secure. We want to know that we have that answer. And really, in Psalm 16, it gives us the kind of life that we want in verse 11. I want this for my life. I want this for your life as well. It says, you will make known to me the path of life. In your presence is fullness of joy, and your right hand, there are pleasures forevermore. That's the kind of life we want. We want to know the presence, the fullness of joy in our life, and the pleasures of God forevermore. So how do we go about that? Well, as we open up to Psalm 16, um, we find here that David was, we believe, going through a difficult time in his life. He was already king of Israel. And now his son, Absalom, had run him off from the kingdom and, uh, <coughs> sorry, um, run him off from the kingdom. 
And now he is going from place to place, cave to cave, and wilderness to wilderness, running from his own son. And he has a prayer to God. He needs some assurances from God, just like you and I need those kind of assurances. So we're going to look at this in this way. We're going to first of all look at the prayer for security, then the portion, then the path, then finally the provision. Notice the prayer of security in verse 1. It says in Psalm 16:1, Preserve me, O God, for I take refuge in you. I said to the Lord, You are my Lord. I have no good besides you. This is the only prayer in verse 1. Verse 1 is the only, that's the only petition. That's the only thing that David is asking for in this whole psalm. The rest of it just sort of modifies that. Now, we, we looked at Psalm 1 a few weeks ago as we started this series of messages. And in looking at Psalm 1, we talked about the, the way to success and the, how you are like a tree planted by the rivers of flowing water. And the, the roots go deep. Now, you don't have the kind of freedom the sagebrush has, if you remember that. But you don't have any usefulness as a sagebrush either. So the more you want freedom from God, the less you sacrifice a real impact in life. The, the, the more you sacrifice the roots of life and the nourishment of life and the security of life. Now, Psalm 1 is kind of an idealistic psalm. It has no intention whatsoever, God had no intention, of really approaching any of the problems that you and I face in life. The rest of the 149 Psalms are about that. And here we find that David is wrestling with foundational security that he wants and desires in his life. And so it says here, protect me. He says, for I take refuge. Now, the refuge, again, it's just a, a theme all throughout the Bible. In, in the book of Judges, you had the cities of refuge. If you committed a murder and, or, or you didn't mean to commit it, and it was an accident, you could run to the city's refuge, and they would protect you. And God said that, that would be your, your refuge. The Bible talks about Jesus being our refuge and our strength all throughout the Psalms. And basically, refuge means a fortified city. It means walls. I have this protection around me. And then when I have that protection, nothing, nothing can harm me unless God allows it to happen. And we're going to come, come back to that in just a moment. But notice, here he's praying for this foundational security. Now, here's the problem in our life. We have no foundation, really, no sure foundation in the world. There's no physical uh, foundations to this life. Um, we, we understand that that everything, all the matter, is just energy. In fact, let me quote this. Matter is a temporary configuration of energy. We find out the Earth's core is not solid. There's nothing solid to stand on. We're standing on a bunch of matter that could shift at any time like an earthquake. So there's nothing physical that we can really place our feet down upon. And everything here basically dies. You know, we just, everything gets old. Everybody here, I don't care how young you are or how old you feel like you are, we're all aging. We're all going to get old and we're all going to pass from this earth. In fact, if you tell somebody, wow, you're 60 years old, you don't look a day over 50. All you're saying to them is basically you are decaying at a much lesser rate than your contemporaries. <laughs> Even the sun's going to go away one day. We don't know how long that's going to take. Hopefully it's not going to be anytime soon. But it's going to all go away. And so there's no physical foundation. There's no intellectual foundations. The things that were printed in the New York Times 20 years ago are considered um, embarrassing today. Embarrassing. 
morals and ethics are moving to the, to the left even as we speak. You know, Hegel's uh, thesis and antithesis, Hegel, George Hegel said that um, basically the world has a belief and he called that a thesis, okay? And he says, this is what the world believes. Then a bunch of people come along with a, a, a different view and it's far more maybe to the left or, or more um, liberational, I should say. And people think, they look at that and say, no way we believe that. There's no way we're going that direction. But so, instead of moving this far to the left, we just move a little bit. Now, this is the thesis. He says, this is the antithesis. And therefore, we come together for a new synthesis. And it becomes our new thesis. And I've given the illustration before about how, uh, you know, if you watch the reruns of I Love Lucy, Dick Van Dyke, uh, I mean, I, I Love Lucy, the, the couple's married in real life. And yet they're in twin beds. They go to bed, you see in there, they're in the twin beds. And somebody comes along and says, well, this is what we ought to do. And they talk about the, the, the sexual things. Oh, no, we can't do that. But now there's a new synthesis and at least they're sleeping in um, um, a double bed. And so it moves further and further. So there are no, there, there is no moral, there's nothing moral that is foundational. There's nothing intellectual. People say we're learning things all the time and when we learn one thing, everything else before it is just sort of obsolete. There's no emotional foundations to life. Uh, this life, I don't want to get depressing here, but I do want to build a case. This life will take everything you love away from you. It just will. It's a very temporary life. There's a lot of joys in this life. Birth, the birth of a child, the grandchildren, all these kind of things going on in your life. But this life will basically take the things that you love away from you. And that's why somebody like Tom Brady would say, wow, you know, I've, I've gained all these things in life. I've got everything that I want. In fact, more. I never thought I'd be making the money I'm making now, he says. I mean, how many people would not be satisfied with $60 million over 10 years? But he says, there's just got to be something else. Got to be something else. Now, we look in this passage. I need to get back to the scripture itself. I want you to notice here three names for God. Now, when we talk about a name for God, we're not talking about different gods. If you look in the Bible, in fact, you can buy a, a book that has the, the names of God. And, and every name of God, same God, just describes another attribute, another characteristic of that God, our God. The first one he says in verse one, he says, preserve me, O God, that's Elohim, or El, standing for Elohim. That means the mighty one, the creator. And so David understands and he acknowledges the fact that God has created and therefore given him everything. He says, I take refuge in you. I said to the Lord, that's the, the term Jehovah. He says, I said to the Lord, the master of Israel, the covenant God, who's made a covenant with my nation and with me, I say to him, you are my Lord, Adoniah, which means my personal master. He says, you're the creator of the universe. You came and made a covenant with Israel, and you have become my personal master in my life. He said, I said to the Lord, I have no good beside you. You know what he's saying here? God, you are my treasure. I don't have anything good beside you. It's the, the parable of the pearl of great price where a man goes out and sells everything he has to buy that one pearl. It's the parable of the treasure of, of, of the treasure in the field where Jesus says the man goes out and sells everything he has to buy the one piece of land that has the treasure in it. He says, you're my treasure. 
Everything I have comes from you. You are the treasure of my life. Now, we look and understand that what's happening here is, is idol worship in the lives of people. And David is saying, look, I'm not an idol worshiper. But David even recognizes the fact that he is drawn away from God many times in order to worship the things that the idols represent. In other words, back then they had a, an idol to uh, maybe a sexual goddess and they had another idol over here to money and they had another idol, idol over here to agriculture and, and so forth and so on. They, they had idols that were built Different animals, men, even, a, even one to Nebuchadnezzar in the Old Testament, another one to Caesar. You worship the idol, the, the actual statue. We've taken away basically the statues in most cases, but we still have a tendency to worship the things that they represent. And it calls us off guard. It pulls us off guard. That's the reason why we get that phone call. It rocks our life. It shakes us up. Our life is shaken because... We have not centered in on God as being the treasure, but rather something else is competing with God for that treasure in our life. Notice in verse 3, it says, As for the saints who are in the earth, they are the majestic ones in whom is all my delight. The sorrows, listen, he says there's sorrows among a certain group of people. And those who have bartered for another God, those sorrows, he says, will be multiplied. This whole idea of barter, by the way, has something to do with running, panting after something else. So much so that you're willing to trade something for that God. Trade something for that idol. Trade something for something you want more than you want the Lord in your life. And that's what he's saying. I, I ha I'm drawn to this, he says, but I'm not one of those who would barter their soul for another God. And so we find here, that there needs to be a recognition, a thanksgiving to God for him being the creator and the treasure of our life. We said that faith stands in the middle. It's like a tension going on in our life between the no longer and the not yet. And what he's saying here is they connect. And the no longer you become thankful to God for his generosity in your life, for him acknowledging him as being the creator and the sustainer of your life and being the one that everything comes from. He's the treasure. No good thing comes from any place, David says, except God. Well, we've seen, first of all, the prayer that's prayed in the first four verses. Then I want you to see the portion of security. David now makes a turning in, in verse 4 and 5. I shall not pour out their drink offerings of blood, nor will I take their names upon my lips. He says, I am not going to worship these gods. I am not going to be involved in their, their animal sacrifices and their human sacrifices and spill blood. Not going to do it. But here's what he says. The Lord is my portion of my inheritance and my cup. You support my lot. Now, this comes from the idea that God is our blessing based on an Old Testament principle. If you remember the story, you may not, but when, when the Israelites went into the promised land, Joshua began to divide up the land based upon the, um, the different tribes of Israel. And so all these sections were sectioned off among the Lord's commands. The Lord said, 
this tribe gets this land, this tribe gets this land. But he said, the Levites get no land. The Levites are the priests, and I will be their portion. I will take care of them. I will be the one who goes to bat for them. I will be the one that will supply their every need. The Levites belong to me. We here, David is saying, I'm, I'm kind of like a Levite. It's not that this kingdom that I have built, he says, before he left, had to leave the kingdom, that's not my portion. My portion is God himself. The blessings of life come from him. He says, he says my cup, the cup of blessings, what he's talking about in life. Then he says, the lines have fallen to me in pleasant places. What, what is he talking about here? You know, one of the problems that we have in, in telling us that, or convincing ourselves that God is our portion is that we're not sure that we want in our life what God wants. I mean, isn't that, I mean, that, isn't that why we don't really surrender to him as Lord of our life? God, you may ask me to do something I don't want to do. You, you may want to put some, some circumstance in my life that I just don't want. Well, I don't know about you, but I've caught myself a time or two complaining to God. How many of you have ever done that? You've ever complained to God? You know, this is a lot more honest group than that first hour. <laughs> All right? So you're more honest people, either that or more people listening. I don't know which one it is. But I have as well. And I remember um, an awakening time uh, in my life. I was at my last church, uh, so this is more than 24 years ago. But I had a guy in, on my staff, and the only full-time guy I had at the time besides myself. And he came into my office, and he said, uh, this guy, and I knew the pastor, not well, but I knew him, another part of Georgia, he said, he's called me and he wants me to go on, on his staff and I'm going to take it. I'm going to go. And I just thought to myself, well, okay. And, you know, I'm kind of stunned here. It was that kind of like that phone call. You know what I'm saying? And I thought to myself, when he left the room, I thought to myself, God, I took this guy under my wing. I discipled him. I mentored him. You know, I gave him things to do along the way. I coached him. I spent so much. And now that he's really benefiting this church, he's off to another church. Now, as it turns out, he didn't go. Changed his mind. But I was having a pity party here. I was complaining. I was complaining to God, and I was upset with God. I was really genuinely upset. It's not easy when a staff guy leaves. It's just not, folks. And so, but I was upset at the time, and God, God just spoke to me. He says, Dwayne, the problem with your life right now is that you are not satisfied with my will. You are not content with my will. And I said, God, you're right. I disagree with your will. And I know that's a problem. And it's my problem. I was in disagreement. I just said, God, I don't like my lines. Now, what does this mean? The lines are your boundaries. The lines have fallen to me in the pleasant places. Indeed, my heritage is beautiful to me. And he's saying, look, whatever my boundaries are, hey, I'm satisfied. That's what he's saying. I know I'm not in the palace anymore, but it's just like in the book of Joshua when they were drawing out the, the lines, the boundaries. Okay, here's one tribe that gets this boundary. This is their land. And they look out on their land and say, wow, this is great land. Remember the story of, of uh, Caleb. 
where he says, give me the land of Hebron for my inheritance. He says, I'll, I'll go in there and fight the people, but I'm, I, that's what I want. I want what God wants for me. And he goes in and takes it. He was satisfied. He was content with his lines, his boundaries. And I wasn't content with my boundaries. With my, I thought I had a better idea. And I, I, I admitted that to God. I said, yeah, God, you're absolutely right. I know it's my problem. I know you have a will for my life, but I am not really satisfied with it. And I, I can't see that I'm going to agree with this. Now, as it turns out, God dealt with me on that. But there's been other times in my life, folks, that I've said the same thing. God, I can't believe it. I just can't believe it. I was di I'm, I've become dissatisfied with God's will for my life. Now, the, the difference is I know that's what's happening. I know before that, before uh, 25, 30 years ago when that happened, I had no idea what was going on. But I knew exactly what was going on from that point forward. And every time I start complaining to God about something, I know it's my problem. God, I, I have my lines, I have my boundaries, and I am saying to you, I am not satisfied with your will. But David, here he was out in the wilderness living in caves, and he says, indeed, my heritage is beautiful. It's beautiful to me. He says, I, I accept the boundaries of my life. And all of us have boundaries. All of us, are, that tree planted by the rivers of flowing water, we have roots, and those roots mean that we just can't pick up the tree by the roots and move it to another place. When it goes down deep, when it, you, you move a tree like that, you're, you're in danger of killing it. No, it has the roots, and it's by the rivers of flowing water, and the blessings are there. And you think, God, I'm just, I love my boundaries. I know that I can't do anything that I want to do, I know I just, just because I set my mind to it doesn't mean I have the talent to do it. But God, within my boundaries, within your will, is the place that really, what? Verse 11, the presence is fullness of joy, and the right hand there are pleasures forevermore. That's where the satisfaction takes place. And so what is the path to it? I want us to look at the next couple of verses. Here he says in verse 11, or verse 7, I will bless. Verse 8, I have set. Verse 9, I will be glad. Three things he says here. And getting ready to receive God's will for your life and to get his portion in your life. First of all, I will bless. I recognize God, his, your counsel in my life. Notice it says in verse 7, I will bless the Lord who has counseled me. He has given me advice. He's given me really, he's talking about here in this word, direction. He's given me direction in my life, and I will bless it. Indeed, my mind instructs me in the night. Here we find an, um, uh, uh, an intellectual, a mindful, an attitudinal foundation in life. I have set because why am I set? Why, why, uh, why am I getting blessed? And why will I bless the Lord? Because he's given me guidance like a counselor. Then he says... I have set, look in verse 8, I have set the Lord continually before me. This is a walk with God, folks. How, how are you going to be satisfied? How am I going to be satisfied with God's will if I'm always living outside of it? How am I going to be satisfied with God's will when I'm always looking outside of it? He says, the reason I can be satisfied as I'm getting away from my kingdom, as I'm getting away from the palace, I'm, I'm looking at God. I, I'm walking with God. 
And I'm seeing things maybe for the first time in my life I haven't seen before because of my walk. One of the reasons why we're doing this psalm series is you read a psalm every week. Some of you have slipped away maybe from your devotional life that you have every day with God. And this is an encouragement to you that you would be involved in that again. You, you, you uh, listen to one of those, uh, maybe uh, on Facebook, online, one of our pastors giving uh, the devotional for the week out of that psalm, and then on Sunday we come back and uh, we preach on one of those. Here's what it says in Psalm 1-3. He will be like a tree f- firmly planted by streams of water, which yields forth its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. Look at the blessing, and whatever he does, he's going to prosper. And so we look at this portion, and we understand that thirdly, in verse, um, verse, rest of verse 8, because he is at my right hand, I will not be shaken. This is emotional security in God, that I'm following him, I'm resting in him, I'm, I'm satisfied with the boundaries of my life. Now when I get that phone call, I'm going to think, oh, this is, this is devastating. But God, I look to you. God, there's got to be a, something in this for you and for me. There's got to be something. I know you're going to be there for me rather than a rebellion. Then notice a physical one as well, physical foundation. Therefore, my heart is glad and my glory rejoices my flesh also will dwell securely. Why is that? Because what he said in verse 8, because he is at my right hand. Now, what does that mean? Well, David was a soldier, and so he understood what it meant to go out and fight. And when he went out and fight, the typical soldier would take a shield in his left hand and then his sword in his right hand. Well, as you're fighting, your vulnerable side is your right side. It's, you don't have a shield over that side. You have the sword. Somebody along the side, somebody, something that you can't see, something that surprises you, comes along and takes your life as a soldier. He says, I don't have any reason to fear because, God, you are on my most vulnerable side. And therefore, I know that nothing can happen to me unless you will it to have unless you let it in and then it's going to be for your glory and as it says here the fullness of joy and pleasures forevermore so let's look then at those last two verses we find two truths here as we look at the provision of security what happens to us when we're secure you will he says for you will not abandon my soul to Sheol he's talking about the Sheol the the grave here nor will you allow your holy one to undergo decay He's saying, you're not going to abandon me even in death. David is saying, my relationship, God, with you is so close and so precious that even death cannot take it away. And he's talking about himself when he's talking about the Holy One. He's just simply saying, I'm the one set apart as king of Israel. Look in Romans 8. It says, but in all these things we overwhelmingly conquer through him who loved us. Paul says, for I am convinced That neither death, nor life, nor... Now, Paul's been through a lot of stuff. Paul was martyred for his faith. Paul had been through beatings. He's been through imprisonments for preaching the gospel. He says, neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, or depth, nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Isn't that great? 
Do I have an amen on that? Wow. Man, that's just terrific. Nothing can separate you from the love of God once you're his child. Then I want you to notice verse 11. You make known to me the path of life. There's security in that path. Why? Because, again, I'm on that path. I'm on that path, and I'm in the boundaries that God wants for me. Nothing can happen to me in a negative way or in a positive way, for that matter, unless God wills it to happen. And then, if it's negative, it's going to come out, Romans 8, 28, going to come out to be a positive in our life eventually. Then I want you to see his presence. Now, this is a great word. In fact, this is where we sort of get our title for our series, Face to Face with God. His presence means face to face with him. Now, I know we're always in God's presence. We're always, you know, God's always hanging out with us somehow through his spirit. Even people that don't know the Lord, they're, they're still walking around somewhere in the presence of God. This takes it way beyond that. It says face to face. That's intimacy. I will have in intimacy, his fullness of joy. And we, what is joy? It's not happening. Something happenstance. Something hap Oh, you know, something happened good today, so I'm happy. Something happened bad, so I'm unhappy. No, joy runs deep in the soul. And even in spite of outward, outward circumstances, there's a peace. There's a, a gladness of spirit. There's a trust in your heart because of the presence of God face to face in your life. And in his right hand, that's his mighty hand, there are pleasures forevermore. You really want to live a pleasurable life. It doesn't come in the sins of this world. Those are temporary. This comes with walking with the Lord. Now, as we look at this, I want us to see something that's very, very important. He says in verse 10, you will not abandon my soul to the grave, nor will you allow your Holy One to undergo decay. He's talking about the resurrection of Christ. Now the question comes up, how secure can you be when you don't even know that you're, you're a Christian? How, how secure can you be if you think, well, I'm a Christian today, but I may not be a Christian this time next year? And that's why the Bible teaches that we can know that we're a Christian. First John, John writes at the very end of the, uh, the Bible as he's there and near the end of his life and most of the disciples are dead and gone. He says, these things have I written unto you that you may know that you have eternal life. And this life is in his son. He who has the son has life. He who does not have the son of God does not have life. Now, once you have it, how can you lose it? Let me ask you something. Eternal life, by its very definition, is a life that lasts forever. When do you receive eternal life? Well, everybody would agree that you receive eternal life the very moment that you receive Christ into your life. So how can eternal life end? You see, we are secure in him. Now, I'm not saying that this gives you an excuse to live any way you want to live. You know, the Bible doesn't teach that. In fact, let's just look at the script, couple of scriptures as we close. Jesus said, my sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. Wow, right there. There's your definition of a believer. God knows you, and you follow him. When you receive Christ, you change the object of worship. 
Before it was something else. It may have been you, but probably something that you want. But now that you've received Christ in your heart, he becomes first place. He becomes your object of worship. It says here, you follow him. And I give to them eternal life. And there they will never perish. And no one will snatch them out of my hand. My father has given to them to me is greater than all. And no one is able to snatch them out of my father's hand. I know the argument there is, yeah, but you can snatch yourself out of the Father's hand. But I want you to concentrate just for a moment on these words. They will never perish. Now, in the, in the Greek language, there are double negatives. There's no way, not ever, and there's not an emphasis there. There's, there's several of those, but only a few times really in the Bible, in the New Testament, does it get emphatic, like a special double negative. And this actually reads in the Greek, they will in no way not ever perish. You see, once you've received Christ into your heart, you go away from the, like, oh, I, I, I got to do this in order to stay saved. God doesn't want us to deal with all the do's and don'ts. He wants us to deal with him. He doesn't want us to deal. And when I say the do's and don'ts, you, you obey the Bible. But my goodness, you, you just, you're not going to live Perfect. And so you go, you don't concentrate on, am I going to do something today to cause me to be lost? Am I going to do something today to cause me to be safe? That, that is, that's lostness. That's insecurity. You concentrate on him because he is your object of worship and your object of guidance in, the, in your life. So what about you today? You know, I, I love what uh, one dear saint was, uh, was questioned and, uh, you, know, you, you know, the Bible says we're, we're the body of Christ. That's what we're called, the church, body of Christ. And uh, somebody asked her one time, said, aren't you afraid that you're going to slip through the fingers of God? And her answer was classic. And she says, you know, I don't because, you see, I'm part of the fingers. And today you can become part of the fingers, part of the body of Christ. Because I know... I know that you come from maybe a different background and you're maybe not from a church background. So maybe you come in here every Sunday and say, I prayed that prayer with the pastor. You know, I prayed that prayer inviting Jesus into my heart and you pray it every week. Now, let me, let me just show you, and I'm not trying to make fun, but let me just show you a little illustration to that. Suppose I come to your door and I knock on the door and you come and you're irritated right off the bat, you know, but anyway... You come to the door, peek through, and you see, well, it's the pastor. Well, if you're a nice person, you're going to let me in, right? And so you open the door and say, pastor, come, come on in. But then before you open the door, you say, clean up the place, you know, whatever. You know, y'all like kids act saved. Y'all going to come as a pastor, you know. <laughs> and so I come in, and I'm seated there, and we're talking. Maybe you offer me a, a Girl Scout cookie, I don't know, just something. And I, I'm, I'm sitting there and uh, maybe drinking a, a Coke and a Diet Coke. And uh, all of a sudden you look at the door and say, excuse me just a minute. And you go to the door and open the door and there's nobody there. And you say, come on in, pastor. Okay. And so I'm sitting over there and you close the door and you come back over. We resume our conversation. A few minutes later, you get up, you open the door and say, come on in, pastor. And I would turn to you and say, look, I don't have to keep coming in. I'm already here. Well, you don't have to keep inviting Jesus in if he's already there. 
I know there's some insecurities, but do you believe this promise? Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Do you believe that? If we confess Jesus is Lord and believe in our heart that God raised from the dead, we shall be saved. You see, it's a matter of faith, isn't it? For by grace, God's gift to us, we are saved through faith. And part of that faith is simply believing that when you pray that prayer, you believe that he is saving you and he will save you. So maybe you're sitting here today and say, well, you know, what should I do? I know this sounds kind of weird, but I'm going to ask you, would you pray? If you have doubts, would you pray? And nailing it down, would you pray one last time? If you're unsure, if he's in your living room, if he's in your heart, would, would you pray one last time? If you're not sure he's your Lord, if you're not sure you've ever repented of your sins, hey, you know, maybe you just got saved because or think you got saved because of fire insurance. You don't want to go to hell, you know, or, or maybe because somebody else was doing it. Your wife wanted you to do it. Your husband wanted you to do it. Your parents wanted you to do it. What about you? God is inviting you to have your own relationship with him. Let's do that today, shall we? Heads bowed and eyes closed. If that's the prayer of your heart, would you pray with me right now? And you can pray with me silently as I pray aloud. Lord God, I know that you offer me your presence and fullness of joy. And that's what I want. I want the security, the foundation, the roots in my life the Bible talks about. And so, God, I turn away from my sins and my sin of having someone else or something else as master of my life. And I call upon you to come into my life to save me and help me to follow you in all my steps. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening. You can find more sermons and other information at crosslifechurch.com.